Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit michters.com to find out how their taste is everything, cost be damned attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. You're listening to In The Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. In The Drink's the show that brings you the most interesting people of the beverage community. And I am your host, Joe Campanelli. Uh, Before we get started, I'm going to give myself a little plug because it's my show and I can do that. Uh, We are taping this show over the summer. Uh, This is the end of August and we'll probably air it uh, middle of September. uh, And I'm excited for the show. Um, but, uh, I've made a little bit of news over the summer. I am, uh, actually involved in a new restaurant. I'm opening a new restaurant in the former Franny's space, a, uh, much loved restaurant by uh, myself and, and many, many, many other people. Um, and I hope very much to do it, uh, to do it justice and be as much a restaurant for that neighborhood and of that neighborhood. The restaurant will be called Fausto and I'm hoping to create a, Southern Brooklyn wine destination. Um, this is actually something I learned recently that uh, that Park Slope is actually South Brooklyn. I didn't know that. I that I, I thought that would be more considered Central Brooklyn, but no, it's considered part of South Brooklyn. Uh, so th- I hope to be a great restaurant in that neighborhood with uh, Chef Aaron Chambora, and I am excited for that. Another thing I'm excited about is today's show. Um, in the studio today, we have someone I kind of think of as a real sommelier sommelier. Uh, everyone I know looks up to him in the industry. Um, he is now the beverage director of the grill and the pool, soon to open the pool, or no, just recently opened the pool. Um, his name is John Slover. He is here in the studio, and I'm so excited. John, well, welcome to In The Drink. Thank you very much, Joe. I'm very excited to be here. This uh, is a great honor. And uh, John, thank you also. Uh, I know you were at work this morning and came in and going back to, to the Seagram building. That's, uh, that's pretty awesome. I, I appreciate that. My pleasure. It's no problem at all. I imagine it's a busy time for you uh, with a newly minted three-star review. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, we were super psyched about that. Uh, I, I dined recently, uh, and I can say it's, it's well-deserved, and, if it, 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 and more so. It was a, a, just a fun, theatrical experience. Uh, our, our server, or captain, uh, it was Martin Gobi, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. who, uh, to give you an idea of the kind of talent working at this place, yeah. Martin had been uh, GM and director of operations of Franny's and, and their other restaurant, and he was serving. I mean, it was amazing. He, he was a captain at Babo in, like, 99, wow. 2000. He's been around. He is the man. Yeah. Another uh, Brooklyn uh, local resident, I believe. Uh, yep. To yeah, say we we also live close by in Brooklyn. Uh, I realize that there's a lot of wine industry people. I know. I know. In I know. our neighborhood, right? We could put together a kick-ass tasting group. We really, if we yeah. had the time or you <laughs> yeah. know, yeah. Uh, time, I guess, uh, <laughs> to do it, uh, we, yeah. we could do it. Yeah. We have the 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 willingness and the wine. <laughs> yeah. We don't have the time. 
Yeah. Uh, but there really aren't like a ton of places to to drink. Like, where are you going to go and drink a great wine? Like anything that you have on your amazing list. Yeah. Like, where could you find tough. any of those wines by, by where we live? I mean, I have yet to go to Beasts and Bottles, but it's on oh, my yeah. list to go to, and I I don't know that that. I haven't looked at the wine list. I don't know if it goes back far in vintages, but it certainly has a lot of uh, a lot of excellent producers and excellent wines. Uh, I looked at it online a little while ago. Yeah. And then um, you could always make the pilgrimage to uh, Da Tomaso in Diker Heights. <laughs> you know, what a legendary place. Yeah. I've actually never been, but I've heard of yeah. people like drink, drinking incredible it's wine amazing, for a yeah. low price. Is it Has it been like well picked over at this it, point? It, or? it has been. Um, but there's still a ton of a ton of stuff. Can you can you remember like a recent uh, or a bottle that you're like, oh my god? Because like what yeah. what a great you know what a great feeling. Uh, it's something that uh, you know I think they did well uh, at at like Marta and and Mylino, mm-hmm. um, yeah. finding wines that people who mm-hmm. know and love wine uh, and know what maybe they cost in other places. Like wow, that is that's yeah. so low. I wasn't planning on spending $150, but right. I'm going to do it because yeah. that is that's oh. like 15 hundred bucks somewhere else yeah something <laughs> yeah. like that uh yeah, do you yeah, remember yeah. any like wine experiences like that dot tomas like Tons, particular yeah. wines? Like- i mean uh i mean we're talking about 13 14 years ago um friends and i drank a bunch of 68 master berardino terrazzi reserva and different single vineyard 68s um We've drunk a ton of Jacosa wow. Red Label, le- legendary 78, one. 82, 82 Gaia, sorry, San Lorenzo. Oh, it sounds like, so this isn't even like no, accidental. Like this person is like, I'm just going to buy the big names. Like they actually know what they're doing. Oh, yeah, ac- absolutely. Uh, actually, I remember we we found a bottle of uh, 78 uh, Grand Cru White Burgundy in the cellar there. I forget I forget the producer, uh, a good producer. And as Tommaso was opening it, he said, uh, you know, I really wish this was... 79, not 78. Because 78 is great for reds, but 79 is great for whites. And uh, so it just shows, you know, there we were, like a group of people from crew and from, uh, you know, uh, you know, being being schooled by this, uh, you know, amazing, you know, older Italian-American guy from Diker Heights about, uh, you know, the differences, the fine nuances of differences between uh, white and red vintages in Burgundy. And old Burgundy is hysterical. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, from from what I understand that for a while Manducati's had a similar situation. Same, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't been to Manducati's since then. I've been to Da Tommaso since then, um, but uh, I had a bunch of really terrible meals at Manducati's. <laughs> Maybe one good one, but like the food was to me sort of a a joke compared to how great the Mm-hmm. The wine experiences were so I, I never really went back, but they may yeah. still have a lot of stuff. Who knows? Yeah, and at, at that point, you can just buy the bottle retail, and it would, you yeah, know, exactly, and, and make yeah. better food at home. And it's not, it's not worth it. Yeah, um, but I, I do remember having at Manducati's a, a bottle of '78 uh, Barolo from Fontana Freda, and it was forty dollars. No, <laughs> you know, it's crazy. At that point, it doesn't matter who made it or, or what it's like. It's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it's a great experience. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. Um, okay, I do want to ask you all about the opening, and uh, I'm just really excited for for great. for you for this restaurant for New York and all of us who, who can dine there. Um, but we actually got a listener question, and yeah. um, 
that doesn't happen too often, to be frank. And uh, maybe that's because I never tell you guys how to get in touch. And so if you ever want to email me, um, you can email me at joe at anonawine, A-N-N-O-N-A wine.com. Uh, Anona Wine is uh, my hobby, something I do in the, <laughs> my free time. Um, but email me at joe at anonawine. I will respond. And uh, if, you know, if it's a good question, uh, I, you know, we'll answer it. We'll answer it on the show. And I think this is a, a good question. It's an interesting question. And I assume it's something that uh, other people who, especially people who are kind of like tuned into social media and Instagram and following some sommeliers um, might might wonder as well. Um, okay. Uh, the, the question is from David Walsh, uh, that, who's based out of San Diego. And uh, David writes that it appears to me that the wine industry and Psalms in particular are largely driven by fashion, trend, and hype. Fashionable right now are the wines from the Jura, orange wines, grower champagne, etc. While there are thousands of other wines in areas that make even better wines that have either not been discovered or people have become bored of. It seems to me that the Psalm community is sometimes a little lemming-like, and that when the psalm with the loudest voice discovers a wine or a region, the trend, hype, and fashion begins, and the industry follows. Uh, While I understand that the wine industry is sales-driven, do we not risk missing out on valuable wine experiences? Um, So there's a lot to kind of unpack from that. Yeah, there's a lot, yeah. Uh, uh, But I kind of wonder what your thoughts are in general. I mean, I know you've, you've... you know, you've uh, been in the industry in New York since 2000 or so. You're part of the yeah. the you're the opening beverage director at at Blue Hill, right. uh, which is amazing. I want I would love to know more about that. Sure. Um, so I, I imagine you've seen the industry through various uh, phases, um, availability of certain wines, kind of coming right. and going. Right. Um, how how does that kind of struck you in, in strike you in general? This idea that that there's a uh, people are driven by like what's trendy and, and hype and, and that sort of thing. Well, I guess, um, I think there's, I mean, I'm mixed. My, I have a mixed reaction to that comment slash question. Um, because I, I've thought the same things before, you know, when, when you're looking at, uh, through Instagram, um, the same wines and kinds of wine pop up, uh, among the sort of wine intelligentsia. They keep, you know, showing pictures yeah. of Overnois and yeah, so Overnois, right? And but things, I mean, also yeah. like, you know, you could pick some producers in the Northern Rhone. You could pick mm-hmm. Barolo producers. You could pick. Um, I'm sure I'm a lot guilty of, of this as well. Yeah, yeah. Too, me too. Yeah. But um, the fact is that in the in in the in the 60 seconds that someone is out there Instagramming a picture of of something that they're drinking that they like, maybe they want to lock into this community feeling like, hey, this is a cool wine, and look, I'm drinking it too. Meanwhile, they probably have, uh, you know, 23 hours and 59 minutes in the rest of their day where they're doing other things and probably exploring other wines that maybe they don't feel like Instagramming. So I, I, I would say that um, if, if you're looking through uh, the view of, of Instagram, yeah, there's a lot of, like, very narrow sort of trendy wines that are, that are that are out there that our sommeliers are excited about but um, you know I think I think there would have to be a better kind of analysis of what their wine lists are like mm-hmm. those sommeliers and those wine directors are, do they only have trendy wines in their wine list I doubt it and uh, are there other wines besides these trendy wines that, that turn them on and probably yes 
And I'm sure that there are some sommeliers that are guilty of only um, following what other people think are cool. And are, I mean, it's. The, Do you yeah. feel that the the trendy wines are uh, wines that you know, for the most part, are very high quality wines that Absolutely, just a bunch yeah. of sommeliers have. To, okay, sure, it's not course. wines that are trendy. No, and, no, of course not. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I there's, mean, so there's a reason that they're trendy. Yeah, because they're you know, on the whole, they're great. I mean, if you look at like, I mean, I think. Dovisat is pretty trendy, and Ravenel mm-hmm. is pretty are pretty trendy. Meaning, people, all the wine bars, I don't want to buy those wines. They're great wines. Um, it gets a little bit more confusing when you're talking about someone like Auvergnat. Um, it's or almost impossible to buy. It's very possible to buy, and yeah. and, the, and and some people love them, some people hate them. Mm-hmm. I don't know anyone who really hates Dovisat. You know, <laughs> I would not you want know. to dine with that yeah. person. Actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. they would not be fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, I just I, I just drank a bottle of uh, I forget what it was. I, I I sort of missed the the Jura um, trend. Although I, I I had some wines at Blue Hill in two, in two thousand. I had some Vengeon and I had some other things. I was I had a Pulsard Rosé by the glass, like a light colored Pulsard by the mm-hmm. glass at, at Blue Hill. Um, mainly just because I was exploring wine and I, I found a wine that I really liked a lot and so I poured it by the glass or a Van Joan went well with a, a dish that Dan Barber and Alex Urania made and so mm-hmm. I bought that and you know I, I was always turned on by things that were off kilter off the beaten track and like that um, now they're not off the I mean they're still off the beaten track but but uh, obviously much more central but in any case it's a, it's a little bit more um, you can't deny that Auvergnat and, and other Jura producers are making incredibly high-quality wine. They're just very, very individual and maybe don't have mass appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit more confusing. But, but yeah, I think, I think there's a huge overlap between what's quote-unquote trendy and what's also incredibly high-quality, incredibly well-made, uh, long-lived and, and really intellectually stimulating yeah. and pleasurable as well. And one of the, the other things that's kind of tied up in that in that question is this idea that because sommeliers are uh, posting oftentimes similar wines, mm-hmm. um, that's dictating what other people are, are drinking. And sure, yeah. I, I would... Something I, I thought about is like there, when it comes to somebody's posting on Instagram, there really isn't so much a like Robert Parker effect other than maybe Raj Parr. Right. If Raj yeah. Parr posts something, then yeah, everyone's going to go after it. People yeah. go after yeah. it. Right? Yeah, I don't yeah. know how many other like other people there are who like have that kind of like sway with with Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Who knows? I mean, yeah, I think in, there's little pockets. But yeah, Raj has that has has pretty big reach. Yeah. He has long arms, <laughs> that Raj Par. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, listen, I, you know, I, I, I have, I, my, my dirty little secret is I don't really drink that much. <laughs> I taste a bunch, but I don't really drink that much. And um, consequently, you know, I, I haven't, ta- a lot of the wines that, uh, that we're talking about, mm-hmm. I haven't actually tasted. You know, I haven't, I haven't, I maybe tasted here and there, but I haven't really sat down and drunk a bottle of Auvergne in a long time. Yeah. Um, and that's something that's interesting that happens a lot with, yeah. you know, with us in the industry too, is that maybe you get to taste like an ounce. I think like you, you work the La Palais. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, every year. And, and, and I've done it for the last six years right. or so. And we see each other there. I get to maybe taste like a half ounce or an ounce of. Right. And then you have to know. make a judgment. And, and yeah. And, 
and and hopefully you know form an opinion about yeah. something. Have I had this yeah. great wine before? I, I guess, but yeah. like that's not really. It's not the same right. as sitting down for a bottle right. or really at like least when a you glass. or at least a glass. Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I feel like when you really learn wine, you or a a particular wine. So if you've had it a couple of times, right, right, with different yeah. food, can, different family, right, and, and hopefully over some like with some time passing between. Why? I mean, that's the whole thing. Wine is something that ages, yeah. and it ages slowly on its own schedule. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It doesn't like bend to what we want it to be, and uh, possibly like one of the one of the dangers of this, you know, quote unquote trendiness is um, it accelerates the consumption of wines that should probably be drunk more slowly. Mm-hmm. Possibly, who knows? Mm-hmm. But um, anyways, it, it was an interesting comment that the that the listener made for it, sure yeah that is interesting yeah. i'd love to hear i mean i don't have time to sit down with this person or, or whatever but it would be interesting to to get a list from that person of the wines and the regions that they think are getting short shrift mm-hmm. um that because they're not trendy um and and to like taste them with 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 that person um to see like yeah okay this is you know because everyone's palate's different, and maybe like a region that they like, I don't like, or yeah, you know, who knows? It, it it'd be interesting to like. It's a little bit cynical to comment, um, but it I feel like it wouldn't be cynical if he or she put forward uh, suggestions for what they think are getting short shrift and what they think are quality that are being overlooked because they're not trendy. All right, David, so if, if you David fo- Wallace, follow if you're up. out there, yeah. you can send me a follow-up yeah. email, and I'll discuss it with John at some point, hopefully yeah, yeah. over, uh, you know... A bottle of Overnois. A bottle of Overnois. <laughs> and we will Instagram yeah. Yeah. The, the, and hashtag up. Yeah. Uh, and and you, you mentioned that... I, I know that, that drinking wine with some age is something that you that you like to do. I, I had yeah. a, a Bourgogne Blanc at, at the grill. It was like a 2010 Bourgogne Blanc. Oh, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. So yeah. Just buying stuff like that right, for me is... Stuff. Yeah. Uh, amazing, right? Yeah. Like something that that is uh, you know affordable. I can't like I can't afford Grand Cru white Burgundy from 2010, but right. uh, and you usually see people having like a Bourgogne Blanc that's 2015 or right. coming up on 16s right. or something like that. So that that's right. really cool. How do you? I, I know that's something that you've that you've want you've been interested in in a long right. time, right? Yeah, yeah. From, from from the from the get go, I, I started learning about wine in '96, and it mm-hmm. it didn't take me but a few months to f- discover I had an affinity for older wines, or at least an interest, and then I started tasting, and I, and I discovered that I preferred uh, older wine to young wine. Although, actually, recently, I've gone back to preferring younger wine and not older wine, but whatever. Y- you know, it's like you go back and forth over the years. But, um, yeah, I mean, one of the most interesting things about wine that I learned from the beginning and, and all along through my career is how wines age and, and how mm-hmm. they develop uh, more subtlety and more nuance as they age and, and sort of um, become more harmonized and, and turn into something else that's that's greater than than the sum of its parts. When they're young, you, you taste the structure and you taste the different things that are out of joint with each other. Um, and over time, all those pieces come together and form a sort of harmony of, of balance. And I, I think that's interesting and fascinating one of the most stimulating things and one of the most pleasurable things about about wine um and it doesn't have to be grand cru like you're saying um it's wines have uh their primary secondary and tertiary as they age so something like shah of hermitage that that 
that uh, lifespan takes place over 30 years. Mm -hmm. But a Bourgogne Blanc, that lifespan takes place over five or seven or 10 years. Um, so you, you, you can get a tertiary wine that's not super expensive. Um, it may not reach the heights of greatness that Shaw Hermitage does or, mm -hmm. or, or a Grand Cru white burgundy. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to. Has, you know. has it become easier or more difficult to find these sort of lesser, I mean, not lesser wines, but like less, uh, let's call it, I don't know, less, less uh, exalted. exalted wines with some age on it. I mean, cause that, that's not stuff that you can like call up your distributor. Right. right. But maybe, maybe I remember when we opened Del Anima, mm -hmm. uh, I was able to get a, a bunch of, you know, like Simple like Barbera with ten years of age right, on it, great, and yeah. pour that by the glass, and that was amazing. I loved that. Yeah. Uh, Did you get that locally, or, or or you got it from a distributor? From or, a distributor, yeah, actually. Right. Yeah, yeah, no. You, like, how do you, like, how do you, right. has that become easier for you to, to find or harder you know, over the years? Or I I think um, developing good relationships with sales reps and and, and wholesalers, and 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 also traveling to wine regions and developing relationships with growers mm -hmm. um, can facilitate. Um, having those things more a little bit more available than than not it's, it's a little bit of an active process so when i when i started at blue hill for example way back when i you know uh i mean i literally had no idea what i was doing i still knew that i liked older wines and so i every sales rep that i met and started to deal with i said if you have anything in your book that has some bottle age even if it's a few years let me know. Mm -hmm. So I had them all working, looking for those things, um, cool. and managed to find a really great uh, Copertino Rosa Reserva with about seven years of bottle age that I, it was cheap, and I poured it by the glass, and it was delicious. And, and actually, I, I, I remember tasting that same wine from the current release um, at a tasting around that time, and it was sort of unpleasant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like just seven years, you know, a few years really softens the edges and, and, you know, it's strange that, yeah. uh, uh, Pugliese wine, right? Yeah. Like, uh, there, there's a couple of producers that release them with some age to it. I think right. like Taurino and yeah, exactly. Right. right, right. Uh, right. is that, was it Taurino? It wasn't, it was, it was the Cooperativo. The Cooperativo, right. Um, and for yeah. some reason, like, I don't know why, but the, those wines are, they're never meant to be, I think in, in their youth, they're, they're just so like jammy and plummy right. and, right. but with some age to it, they're beautiful. They're yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Really cool wines. They turn into like the, the fruit gets sweet, but not in like a, not in like a cloying way, but mm -hmm. just you know, sort of mellows out and gets broad and sweet and, and, and really attractive, you know. Uh, I love that. So what was your, are there any wines from the original wine list? Well, well first, what was your first wine list at, at Blue Hill like? And then are there, uh, are there wines that, you know, you've, every wine list you've been on, like uh, you've been part of, you like, you always have that on because that's something that you feel so strongly about. You love those wines so much. Um, that's a good question. Um, well, the first part is that, uh, at Blue Hill, um, I was able to kind of do exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, in other words, no one was telling me I had to have this wine or I had to have that wine. Um, and, and the trends back then were very different than now. Um, there was a lot. I mean, there's still it, there's still a mass market for like uh, big, oaky, you know, tropical California Chardonnay and and and, you know, big you know, fruit bomb Cabernets and Cal other California wines and modern style wines. Um, and, and I guess I, I, I wanted to be a little bit, um, 
against the trend. And, and so I, I think I opened with a list of 100 wines, and I think I had one or two California reds and maybe one California white, and that was it. Um, and it was partly because I wanted, to avo- I wanted to make a point of avoiding things that were... Um, that people thought you had to have to have a wine list. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But also it was that I was tasting the food with uh, Dan and Alex. Alex Serrano was the original um, uh, chef de cuisine or executive chef. And um, the food was was very light. Uh, they didn't use cream and butter. Um, you know, the food tended to have higher levels of acidity. Um, you know, very clean, simple flavors, very intense flavors. And so... I mean, I just intuitively knew that big wines wouldn't really work well with the food. So I was picking, you know, lighter style wines with more acidity and less oak and less alcohol and, and like that. And, and um, those happen to be the wines that I really love, um, which I wasn't completely articulated in my head at the time, but, you know, was sort of more instinctual. And now um, those are the kinds of wines that I gravitate towards. Right. Um, I think you see a lot of the sommelier community, at least here in New York. Right. Hey, but yeah, the sommelier community in, in a lot of places, like sort of gravitate right. towards those low alcohol, For more sure, nuanced yeah. wines. Right? Of course, right. Yeah, no, and, and and I mean that's that's kind of a philosophical process, you mm-hmm. know. That that that's. But it's something that happened organically for you, in a way. You're like, I, yeah, I, I realize that these yeah. are. You know, it it it's now it seems like commonplace. Like people, yeah, it could be, people, yeah. it's like. Yeah. A, a, common knowledge that right. that those wines are better if you have a very high alcohol wine with a lot of oak it's you can't it's just tougher to enjoy that right. with, with well it's food. a limited yeah. kind of food that you can have with that yeah um well and now i'm like you know um buying a lot of big you know oaky tannic you know high alcohol wines for the grill because we have you know clientele would be interested in that, yeah. well not just that it's it's a it's a chop house oh, it's a chop house that's right yeah, yeah. so we, we we sell a ton of uh prime rib we sell Oh, yeah. A lot of, uh, you know, ribeyes and strip steaks. And, you know, I don't think yeah. I'd ever had prime rib before. So I have no, yeah. like... Yeah. Roast beef. It's ro- but, and the, but you guys give the little very the bone as beef. well. It is yeah. spectacular. Right. Uh, but that's not even what I order. That's my girlfriend's parents ordered that. Okay. And I had the uh, guinea hen Claiborne. Right. Which... I mean, yeah. what a fantastic dish. And, yeah. like, what... You can have so many, like, fun wine pairing... Yeah, opportunities yeah, for that. Rhone would be great with that. North yeah. or south. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of because uh, y- yeah, you could do <clears throat> you, you could do even like a, a slightly more tannic, uh, more powerful style of red Burgundy, like Gevry or Pomard or, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you could do New World. I mean, it's, yeah, there's a lot of places to go. With and that. could you maybe a Jura with that also? Or a Jura, yeah, exactly. it would be it would be really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so then after after your time at Blue Hill, uh, you spent some time. Uh, you didn't go very far, like geographically, actually. No, no, not at you, all. Like, yeah. It's on one side of Washington Square Park or the other. Yeah. So you, <laughs> uh, so you went over to Twenty Four Fifth Avenue. Right. Right. I uh, worked at a couple of restaurants in that space. Yes. And yes. you took a step step back, right, from being a wine director to being a sommelier. What was, what was that like? Well, you know, or is, be, that, is being that accurate? The, uh, I mean, yeah. it's. On paper, it's accurate, but uh, but I went from being the wine director of a uh, you know with a hundred bottle wine list um, and a, and a one man operation. In other words, I didn't have a team of sommeliers or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, to being a, a sommelier in a team of three or four, but with two thousand wines. Wow. Um, 
I think maybe we, we opened Washington Park with 1,000 wines and grew it to 2,000 wines. And then we closed Washington Park, renovated, um, and uh, brought in all the wine that we had been buying that we didn't have time to put on the wine list. And we opened Crew with 4,000 wines. So in, in the seven months between restaurants, we added 2,000 selections. Um, obviously, we were doing a lot of buying. <laughs> yeah, I remember so. <laughs> the crew. I, mean, I went to NYU and couldn't barely afford anything there. But you guys, the, the hospitality, I don't know if people realize, like, you guys were really great. And there was a little bar area, and sometimes I'd yeah. go in with my friends. And, yeah. um, you know, you'd be able to find some, I remember drinking, like, off vintage Bartolo Mascarello, like yeah, 93 yeah. Bartolo Mascarello. Yeah, yeah, that was that. actually like really a good, stretch yeah. and really yeah. good yep. uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but 4,000, I remember there was two, two, two wine books, A white two book, book and a red book. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. And, and like half of it was Burgundy. So we had 2,000 selections of white and red Burgundy. Yeah. Um, you can't like, you can't possibly know all of the wines, right? Is that, is it impossible at that point to know? Kind of, yeah. I or mean, do you like, how do you, well, how do you It depends it? on what you mean by no. I mean, if, yeah. if, if you want to know all about the, the, the winery, the history of the domain, the, 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 the name of the winemaker, like mm-hmm. the, their vinification process and all. Yeah. It's, it's impossible to know everything about every wine, but, um, but you know, we, but as you can know enough to as make as you go, yeah. You have time, a sense right? of styles. Yeah. You have a sense of of climate and what the kind of what you know. And there are a lot of verticals, I imagine. So at crew, yeah, yeah, yeah at crew, absolutely, yeah. I mean, we we had yes. two thousand selections of Burgundy, but we also had ten pages of Napa Cabernet. We had you know a huge selection of Gigal Lalas and and other Northern Rhones. I mean, we had a huge selection of Rias. I mean, mm-hmm. the buying back then is was much easier, you know. It's it's a totally different ball game now, and, and is you're saying that because anything that you wanted you could you could pretty much get and yeah, things weren't like allocated it, like they are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And 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 um, there was less competition. There's there's since oh we we opened Crew in oh four, um, and since then the collector community, people who wealthy individuals who are interested in collecting and buying wines, mm-hmm. has grown dramatically. So there was less competition at auction then mm-hmm. now you know Everywhere. there's you know whatever you know more people buying the same kinds of wines yeah and um you know i think we we one time we bought three cases of 78 rias now i see a bottle a lot uh, you know a lot of one bottle of 78 rias here and there um and it's leaking and the cork is pushed out and you know it's like not something you really want to touch <laughs> Three cases of 78 Rias show up at the door. Wow. Yeah. There was someone who was selling, uh, Robert Chatterton was selling uh, Gonon back then. Was he really? I didn't realize that. We used to take yeah. five case drops of 89 and 90 Gonon Saint Joseph. Oh my For nothing. God. You know, $27 a bottle or something stupid. Oh like my that. God. It was on the list for, I think the 89 was on the list for 90 bucks and or 80 bucks. That seems like a wine. It's probably to blame Raj Parr, but like that seems like a wine that yeah. uh, just in the last I'll couple blame of years. Patrick Capiello on Patrick that Capiello yeah. on going on. Okay. Oh yeah, he should shout out one. to Patrick. <laughs> He's another one I guess who can like really yeah. uh, but yeah, it right. feels it seems like in the last like three years or something. Sure. Uh, and, and and again to our, our point before, yeah. it's a truly great wine. Oh it's phenomenal. It's and phenomenal. It's yeah. it's worth that right. that's like 
lives yeah. up to the hype. It's exactly. still a good value, even at the newly yeah, inflated it's, price. It's, it's now broken the $60 barrier. You know, yeah. you can't buy it retail for less than 60 bucks anymore. And even more than that, I've seen it offered for higher than that. Yeah. But still um, compared to some of you know, our favorite burgundies yeah. or yeah, it's other cheaper, great yeah, wines in yeah. the world. It'll be a value. It'll still be a value up to like 80 bucks, and then it'll still be worth buying, you know. It's it's a really good wine. It's super authentic. Jean Gonneau and and uh, and uh, I guess it's Pierre is his brother. Mm-hmm. They're like incredible winemakers and 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 vineyard managers. Uh, insanely careful in the vineyard. Insanely you know detail oriented. And um, you know do they have the greatest of the great terroir? No, but they're making incredible wine to its potential from from a really really good terroir. It'd be scary if they had, uh, you know, vines in Bessard on Hermitage or, 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 you know, something in Cote Roti. It's scary to see what they would make. Wow. You know? But uh, we need to, like, come up with a collective. I mean, who knows? Maybe they wouldn't really like it. Maybe they're very yeah. at home where they are and, you know, they're not uh, striving to make Hermitage or Cote Roti. But for what, for what they make in St. Joseph, it's, like, mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I, so. I think so. That was a that was a, a, a special time uh, that that you're at uh, you're at crew. I mean, what what's what's some some of your takeaways from that experience there? I, I imagine you tasted some of the like greatest wines in the world. In yeah. fact, I know there was an event there that happened that was called the Greatest Wines of the Century. Or oh something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Was it the hundred best wines? Yeah, hundred best wines yeah. of the century. I remember drooling and yeah, thinking yeah. about uh, what was. Right. Yeah. What, what did you did take you see the list of, of? I mean, how do you know about that? You just saw, like a did uh, I don't like remember. Doug Barzilay publish. I think a, when it was when it was happening, I, I remember there was some like promotion. I don't right, know how. Right, right, and, you right. know, I was working yeah. in the industry, and I think it was like twenty five thousand dollars a ticket or yeah. something absurd. That yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. I, I couldn't even imagine having that much no, money at a time. And you know, uh, yeah. No, no. It was it was amazing. Yeah. I mean. The, the those that dinner and and we did a lot of of uh, wine dinners for for collectors mm-hmm. and and, uh, and um, I guess a takeaway is is that it's a very very special and very rare. I mean, back then it didn't seem so rare, but now looking back, like I kind of wish I had taken better notes. You know, yeah. I, I wish I had like, you know kept a better log of, of those things of and, everything you tasted yeah. and what you yeah right and every now and then I come like I'll, going through storage I'll come across a box with like printouts of, of the wines we were serving and like I remember a dinner we did for a group of collectors where the youngest wines were from 1945 <laughs> and the oldest wines were from like 1892 or even older maybe an 1870 red burgundy or something uh, I can't remember exactly but uh, that's crazy yeah it's it's uh it's you know at the time you take things for granted it's like this is gonna go on forever and it's not you know and now it's like really hard to have those experiences and and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. those wines are concentrated in in fewer and fewer cellars and 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 uh so yeah i wish i'd taken better notes and and recorded all that stuff somehow much better yeah so it makes me think uh, another uh wine destination 
Uh, I've never been to. Uh, it makes me think of Burn Steakhouse. Yeah, I've never been there either. Yeah. yeah, I've always wanted to go. I've always wanted to go yeah. too. A cool. place with thousands of selections. Yeah, and, and they've kept them around for a long time right. and, and some good some good values. Right. Um, so then, uh, sometime after that, I don't know if I'm missing if I'm missing anything in the chronology. Right. You made the trip all the way down to Houston Street. Yeah, to bar <laughs> that's right. That's right. Like, you traveled so, three blocks. Three blocks <laughs> instead of one. Uh, uh, meanwhile, I lived on Thompson between Bleecker and Houston. You lived on Thompson between Bleecker yeah, and Houston. So, so all through that, I was like two blocks away from work all the time. Did you meet your wife when she was working at Lupa? I did actually. Yes, it's, it's yes. amazing. Yeah. yeah, who's also a lovely uh, yes. and uh, talented and amazing yes. person who, who worked with your partner actually. Uh, Aaron. She worked with Aaron. Yeah, so she. Oh. Uh, I think when Aaron was uh, Cruz's sous chef at Lupa, Shin was a sommelier at Lupa. Yes. Yeah. I kind of think I yeah. said you're a sommelier, sommelier. I feel like Cruz is a chef, chef. Like yeah, all yeah, chefs yeah. love yeah, yeah. Cruz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Aaron, like that's like yeah. her mentor. You know, you know, she. I think she she followed him to three different kitchens. Oh, so cool. Mercer awesome. Kitchen, Lupa, and Del Posto. Very cool. Awesome. That's. Very I'm super cool. psyched for Fausto <laughs> to open. I can't wait to. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I can't wait to have you in. Cool. Uh, awesome. Hopefully, it'll, it'll be one of the days where you're, you're drinking wine and yeah. can dispel the myth that you... Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, at Bar Henry, yeah. you, you did a, uh, a really uh, cool thing that the city, mm-hmm. I don't think, had seen before, where right. you allowed people to order a half bottle of mm-hmm. any full bottle that was... Right. And, exactly. and it's now been adopted at Charlie Bird and Pasquale Jones, perhaps, as yep. well. And they give you the shout-out on, on yep. the list, which I think is very cool. Very cool, yes. I think, like, you know, uh, you see that more with cocktails these days, too, where people, like, they're saying, hey, listen, this idea is from someone else, and I'm going to yeah. give them the credit for it. And, right, right, And right, I think right. that's super cool that, that right. they're doing that. <laughs> um, how did, do you remember, like, the thought process, like, coming, like, is it something that yeah. you do again? Uh, it seems like, to me, yeah. I, I think that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, it worked really well at Bar Henry. I did it at Chiano as well, where it also worked really, really well. Um, I actively don't want to do it at, at the grill in the pool just because it's a much bigger uh, yeah. operation. But yeah, I mean, basically, um, I just pulled together a couple of bits of things that I had heard from people before. Um, you know, uh, uh, actually, I think it was Dan Lerner from Skernick mm-hmm. who mentioned that uh maybe it was that uh, one night he was at 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 crew and uh i offered to serve him a half bottle of wine and he mentioned that uh he, he used to be he had been a sommelier before and that you know he did that occasionally for guests it's just something you do occasionally for someone special yeah um, so yeah, maybe it's a yeah. table of two and they want to have like right. one bottle of wine maybe right. they want to have a bottle of red right. and to start maybe you have like a glass of white but right. they would actually drink something better if they could have exactly. a bottle right? Right. exactly then, then so, you know the five or four wines of in your white by the glass list exactly so I, I you know it's a little anecdotal things like that and then separately when we were opening um, Bar Henry um, I was thinking about what I what I thought a wine bar should be about um, and it seemed obvious to me that guests should have an opportunity to taste a lot of different things and we we shouldn't force people to like learn you know something mm-hmm. if they didn't want to learn anything they could just come in and order a glass of wine and sit and have a chat but um, if someone wanted to learn something or do some kind of comparative tasting they should be able to to do that if they wanted and so then I think most wine bars answer to that is to have a lot of stuff by the glass. But I always 
felt that that would lead to a lot of waste and I didn't mm -hmm. really want to do that. Um, and I didn't want to have a Cruvenet system and this is before the Coravan and, and yeah, I was thinking yeah. about that recently. It was coming, I was going to yeah. ask, I wanted to ask you about this half bottle thing. Yeah. And I think now what a lot of people do is the they, Coravan. they Coravan it. Yeah. Right, and so that other half Cheating. bottle is good. <laughs> what did, <laughs> you put, if I remember, you put it on the chalkboard. Yeah, so right? yeah, we had we had big glass mirrors in the bar at the bar, Henry, and I bought wax pencils, white wax pencils. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if I served a half bottle of something, there would then be two glasses available to sell, and I'd go and write it with the wax pencil. And on then the mirror. so I could order one glass only. Yeah, so then it would That's be two right. glasses of this, and it's this much a glass. Mm -hmm. And so it, it it caught on to the point where people would come down the stairs. It was it was subterranean. They'd come down the stairs into the bar and go right to the mirror and see what was open. That's great. And you know, be like, I'll have a glass of that. Um, so yeah, so so basically, I wanted to be able to like uh, allow people to taste a lot of different stuff if they wanted, and um, and not just like inexpensive stuff. So so the there were about a hundred and fifty wines that were like that, where you could order half, and uh, I want to say they went up to like a hundred and eighty bucks a bottle or hundred and fifty bucks a bottle or something like that. Great. So you get a half of one of those for seventy five dollars. Um, did you end up pouring out a lot of wine at the end of the night or was it, do you guys think not when I was there? No, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I was, the whole game was, you didn't pour it out cause you drank it at the end. Of, yeah. No. <laughs> I drank a little bit for sure, <laughs> but the whole game was, you know, competitively like, sell this one. Yeah. Yeah. So have you been to a wine bar called Isola in Milan? I have not. Do no. you know of it? Do you know this place? I've heard of it, but I don't. You would yeah. love it. Oh, yeah? I think you would. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Uh, I went uh, a few months ago with, uh, with my girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, it is just an, it's a, a great wine bar. They have every bottle of wine. Maybe my only criticism is that the, you know, all the bottles are out and on like perfect temperature control. They have right. all these great bottles of wine yeah. out and anything that you want, yeah. you can pull it and get a glass. Okay. You can like bring the cool. bottle to the, like, and they'll open it up for you awesome. and they'll pour a glass. Very nice. And the prices are super low. And then what do they do with the rest? They try to sell it to... I see, so they do the yeah, same. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, you know, uh, me, like, I would just go and get them. But a lot of what I could tell the regulars who are going there, speak to the bartenders, like, what right. do you have? Like, what should right, I right, drink? Right. And then they're trying to actively... Right. And it, it, there's, like, four people working behind this bar. And they yeah. do aperitivo, which generally, you know, I, I was excited about aperitivo as a college student. Right. And then as I grew up and I was like, you know what? I'm willing to pay for food that's better yeah, <laughs> than, yeah, 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 than yeah. the crappy food. Yeah. Uh, but they actually have good, like, uh, you know, like organic, like cool awesome. ingredients that you don't see and, and stuff like that. Nice. Anyway. Sounds ideal. It's like a, a, <laughs> nice a glass of wine, place. whatever you want and get some good food. Yeah, and the yeah. food's included in the glass of wine. Awesome. We drank uh, this wine, Lino Maga Barbar Carlo. I don't know if you're familiar Never with it. it. No. Uh, it's from right outside of Milan, uh, 1996 for 16 euro a glass. And amazing. It's like amazing. Yeah. Uh, I should take. I should. We should take a break right now. We're gonna take okay. just a very very quick break. Uh, we'll be back with John Slover, the beverage director from the Grill and the Pool, and uh, right after this, we'll talk about those. Michter's Distillery is a proud sponsor of In the Drink and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. At Michter's, our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible. When you only make small batch and single barrel whiskeys like Michter's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small, from careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels, to lower barrel entry proof before heat cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Michter's master distiller says it's just right. 
Michter's cost-be-damned, taste-is-everything attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food & Wine magazine called Michter's the best American whiskey. Bon Appetit said, it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Michter's. Phenomenal. For more information, visit michters.com or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Michter's. All right, we're back with John Slover, the beverage director of The Pool, The Grill, and The Lobster Club also. The Lobster Club. Um, You know, like I said, I had just this fantastically fun and delicious meal at at The Grill, and I can't wait for The Pool to open, but I don't know anything about The Lobster Club. Uh, Can you... I, I, I love lobster. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it sounds it sounds cool. What, I wonder if we're going to serve lobster. I don't even know. <laughs> um, yeah. So basically, um, the the uh, I'm sure many people know this, but the backstory of the place is that in in 1959, Restaurant Associates, um, who were these very theatrical um, restaurant uh, restaurateurs, it was Joe Baum's company. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, opened. Uh, the Four Seasons restaurant in the Seagram, the newly built Seagram's building, which is a um, revolutionary, modern, beautiful, elegant building in um, in Midtown. It was the first of its kind. Um, actually, I guess Lever House was open the year before. Was built the year before. But um, and uh, Mies van der Rohe, who was um, from the Bauhaus school of architecture designed was the architect on, on the Seagram's building. Philip Johnson, who is a famous architect, was hired um, to design the interior spaces of the restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, and the result are basically the, 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 the most beautiful, uh, most um, elegant, and most incredible interior restaurant spaces that I've ever seen. And um, I think are the only it's the only landmarked interior space landmarked uh, restaurant in the in the city possibly in the country, um, and uh, they're they're treasures really. So when 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 major food group partnered up with um, the owner of the Seagram's building, um, the landmark commission obviously dictated what what they could and couldn't do. But in any forget about that, they decided early on not to change anything. Um, regardless of that, but just to take everything out, clean it, and put it back the way it was. A couple of minor um, changes here and there. There was a Picasso tapestry in the hallway between the restaurants that was donated to the New York Historical Society, and they hired a sculptor to to um, make this incredible organic um, sculpture that includes plants for that hallway. It's beautiful. Um, so, uh, and uh, one other thing they did was they took back um, what used to be called the Brasserie, which was a restaurant um, downstairs that was entered on, uh, from 53rd Street. Um, it originally was owned by Restaurant Associates. Over the years, it, it uh, um, became separately owned by different operators. So um, in the latter stages of the Four Seasons tenure, um, the Brasserie was not part of their operation. All they did was the grill in the pool, or the grill room in the pool room. Um, but now the three restaurants are back together under one operator one set of operators which is major food group and and uh and when, when will you guys open and we're gonna open that in october mid-october is the is the plan well each of these places have yeah. different wine lists or it, it it's all the same wine list they, okay, they each yeah. have different wines by the glass um but uh 
but uh, the same wine list. I'm excited for that. Yeah. I, you know, I've been meaning to ask you, uh, I know that Rich and Mario uh, and the, the group really just did a ton of research in, yeah. into the space, to the food that was, was served there, yeah. and, and maybe I think also what was served in general in, in great restaurants at that yes. time. Was there a, a similar approach to the, uh, the wine list and the cocktails? Um, cocktails, yes. Um, wine list, um, I, I didn't. Um, I had a glance at the Four Seasons wine list. And, quick, and quickly like? stopped glancing at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, more to the point, I was, um, you know, I, I learned a little bit about what the, what the cuisines were going to be in the two restaurants and um, thought about what wines would be appropriate. I mean, basically, in my experience, uh, probably yours and everyone else's, people drink what they want to drink. And then there's a, a percentage of diners who um, care about, uh, you know, attempting at least to properly match wine and food and, um, and like that. So, um, for the grill, because it's a chop house and, um, and we serve a lot of red meat and, and, uh, heavier weight food. Um, I wanted to have, you know, great representation from Napa Valley, from Bordeaux, from Southern Rhone, from Northern Rhone, from, um, you know, Tuscany, from Piedmont and, and like they have have a lot of big reds, but a lot of Brunelli, Montalcino. Um, but knowing that down the road we were going to open the pool, which is, um, uh, you know, raw and cured fish and, and grilled whole fish, and um, we have a little bit of we we offer some meat dishes, three maybe mm-hmm. three meat meat dishes, but but it's it's largely a seafood restaurant. Um, I wanted to have a lot of champagne and a lot of. Chablis and, and Merceau and, and, and coastal Italian whites and, uh, you know, briny coastal Mediterranean whites from all countries and islands. Um, so I, I bought, uh, I held off on the, on the coastal Italian stuff until closer to, the, to when the pool opened. But, um, but I was picking out wines based on those two respective cuisines. And then just generally focusing on, you know, it, it's a big enough program, and it's the kind of place where people drink what they want to drink. Mm-hmm. So I, um, not really, I, I haven't worked that much in this part of Manhattan, um, and so uh, I made some guesses about what should be on the list, and started, and I'm still in the process of of, of figuring it out. 2017 is about getting the places open, getting the place up and running, and and seeing what people ask for. You know. Ha- are, are there is there a lot of demand for uh, Australian wine? Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to buy Australian wine until there's a, I see if there's a demand or not for that. So I, I'm in the process of discovering what people want to drink. Yeah, uh, but I knew that there were certain things I, I, I should have, which is the ones which which are the I know ones that I you favor in. old yeah. world wine. Oh, for have sure. You, have definitely. you uh, definitely uh, in the in the spirit of the Four Seasons yeah. being something more about American cuisine? Have you also added some more American wines that you would, maybe you would normally put on on your own wine list? Uh, uh, for uh, sure. Wine yeah. List. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, where, where do you go to when finding American wines to, to well um, or to list? I guess. I mean, I have. I have a pretty big selection of um, Cabernets and Cabernet blends from from California, mainly Napa, but um, other places. I have a pretty big selection of of, uh, Pinot Noirs from all over California and Oregon. And I have a pretty big selection of California Chardonnays. Mm -hmm. Um, At some point, I want to get to maybe having something like 
a new California section cool. uh, just to highlight, you know, um, something new that's happening. That, that again, this is something that this is something that's come up while I've been out of the game a little bit. So I, I'm a little bit unfamiliar with these things. So it'll be a way for me to learn about about uh, sort of new California style of wine. Um, but I think it would also make for something more interesting than just a long list of California Chardonnays. Um, same with Australia. There's a there's a whole new movement of winemaking in Cal in, in Australia that I, I I sort of missed because I wasn't mm -hmm. in the game while, while it was happening. And yeah, so you have so you have some really special wines on this. Is there something that you've opened that you like that you were really excited about mm -hmm. uh, that maybe you haven't tasted in a long time or ever before? Uh, do you still get really excited about yeah, that? Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, um, I get really excited about, uh, for reds, red burgundy, Northern Rhone and, and, uh, Barolo and Barbareth Nebbiolo, the three grapes, which I think are the greatest Pinot Noir and Syrah and Nebbiolo. Um, so, you know, I, there's a lot of tasting to do in those regions, mm -hmm. obviously. But uh, um, Mark Sorel, the Hermitage producer, you know, you know uh, haven't had the wines that much. Mm -hmm. um, but I just opened up uh, and served a bottle of uh, 2001 Hermitage Grayal. And it was great. Wow. It was, it was amazing. I mean, I, you know, it was, uh, I, I, I couldn't. It had been a while since I tasted it. I couldn't quite remember what it was like, but um, uh, I thought it was fantastic. Super exciting when when I, you know, do that. And um, of all things, uh, a 2006 Muscadet, uh, which I thought was really? amazing. Um, I, I think it's Domaine Oatborg from, uh, I think I picked it up from Polliner. Uh, that's current release. Current that's release. That's yeah. another one. Sometimes you can find like yeah, yeah, some, yeah. some older. Uh, and you guys have it. an extraordinary amount of Chateau Yachem, and it, yeah, it's displayed yeah, yeah. like super yeah, yeah, beautifully, yeah. and yeah. it's like a art yeah. very artistic, uh, backlit sort of way. Yeah, well, we we had this wine room just off of the pool in the hallway, at the end of the hallway, on the way to the pool, just before you enter the pool dining room, and uh, in you know the process of thinking about what to do with it because it's it's not just a wine room it's it's a display it's there's a there's a glass wall um off of the hallway that you, you can look into it as you pass by so it couldn't just be like some dirty dusty like wine storage so i just in thinking about it um uh we you know there's there's a restaurant in europe i, I, for, I forget off the top of my head which one it is but um that they 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 have this ekem display and it's gorgeous all the different hues of orange and gold and yellow. So and, beautiful. And so yeah. we um, we decided to to recreate that uh, with that. And so we you know figured out how to backlight it and and put um, you know a kind of filter that uh, accentuates the different it's hues gorgeous. of orange. Yeah. And what, what's the oldest vintage you guys have? Like early nineteenth century. Stuff, we have right? an eighteen eleven. What? Yeah. What's the oldest you've sold since you guys been open? Or yeah. um. 61 oh wow okay yeah. so we haven't gone back past 61 but we, we have multiple vintages from the 19th century it's incredible um, we have wines from the 20th century from the teens the 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 knots the, the, the teens the 20s 30s 40s actually the very cool it's very cool we have 
a bottle of 1911, a bottle of 1811, and we have some 2011. No. So my goal is to sell it to the find same the table? right table that will have you know two two centuries. Will you like buy their dinner for them <laughs> if they get those three? <laughs> I'll buy their dinner. Yes. Not you personally. Yeah. But the, I might do it personally. <laughs> I mean, that'd be incredible. Yeah. No, I think that would be very cool. You know. So. Yeah. Well, well, John Silver, it has been such a pleasure to have you on In the Drink. Thank um, you. It's been a pleasure for me, too. Uh, and maybe you, dear listener, could be the person who goes in and makes John's night by yeah. buying the three <laughs> vintages uh, uh, each, you know, 100 years apart uh, yeah. at, at the grill. Right. Either If you do that or just even, like, go in for an extraordinary martini at the bar yeah. and you'll feel just, like, super glamorous, like... Yeah, it's a great place. It's just a great place. Congratulations Thank on, you very on much. the three Thank stars. You. I'm, I'm yeah. sure there's more good things coming yeah. with with the the pool and uh, and the lobster club downstairs. Right. And congrats to you about uh, the upcoming Fausto. Thank you so uh, much. Can't wait. Can't wait for that. Thank you. Yeah, cool. I can't wait to have, have everyone in. Uh, I want to thank Dave Tadashore, who puts the show together every week. You're the man, Dave. Everyone at Heritage Radio Network. And, of course, to you guys for listening. Thanks so much. This has been In the Drink. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.